Are you thinking about implementing your own smart home? Not sure of what you want to control or how to start? Do you want your smart home to respond to your voice like it does in the movies or television? Well, you found the right podcast, Tech Bytes with Ron Netter. As a best-selling author, speaker, and YouTuber, he will help you explore the different options available. And now, here's your host, Ron. Are you looking for a better firewall for your smart home? Do you want to more safely protect what's in your smart home and or your crypto mining gear? Well, stay tuned, and I'm going to show you how to do this with PFSense. Welcome to another edition of Tech Bytes with Ron Nutter, your home for all things relating to smart home technology. In this episode, we're going to talk about should you use PFSense to protect your smart home? Hi, I'm Ron Nutter, and we're going to be working on this together. This content is also available as an Amazon flash briefing or podcast. Please go to techbyteswithronnutter.com for more information. For any items mentioned in this episode, there are affiliate links in the description. If you click on these links, I will get a small commission, but that won't affect the price you pay for the item. If you want to get notified when new content is uploaded, please click on subscribe and enable notifications. Now here's what we're gonna be dealing with in this video is should you use PFSense to protect your smart home? First, for those of you who haven't really delved into this, we're gonna talk about why you need a firewall, then what you need to look for in a firewall, and there's some additional firewall services for any system you may wanna look at, and then the ultimate question, do you buy one ready to go or do you build your own? And there's some interesting considerations on both sides of the argument. Well, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, I'm going to give you a few pictures. We're talking a few thousand words. With some concepts we need to go over. This is targeted at somebody who's never really thought past a firewall, past maybe what you've got from the office supply store off Amazon. And there's some things, a little more advanced features, functionality that you need to think about when you're going to protect a smart home. Or if you're getting into crypto mining, protecting that gear, not only from outside intrusions, but protecting it kind of from you as well. So let's go ahead and get started. Now, this is the very simplistic layout of what a network's going to look like. You're going to have your internet connection and the firewall could be the device provided by your ISP or something that you've got in like a Linksys or there's all sorts of firewalls out there and then a PC. And that's kind of where we all get started. But as you get into a smart home, you're going to have a smart bulb or two, which may be on Wi-Fi or have some sort of connection where it's going to be on your network. And then you're going to get smart outlets where you can turn non light bulb devices on and off. And as with anything, one light bulb, leads to more light bulbs and one smart outlet leads to more smart outlets. And then you start exploring things and finding out, well, I need to have a storage device for all those things on my network. Then you start saying, well, I can record my favorite TV shows or I can control my smart home from a central console with home assistant, or you can protect yourself from ads that you don't want with Pi-hole, or you get into a more involved wireless situation. So you get something like Unify. This is where it starts to be, you're almost starting to be a little bit unmanageable. So some things we need to think about. Now we'll go back to a very simple situation where we're going to have a switch sitting between the firewall and the PC, and we're going to have a smart bubble too, just to kind of paint the picture architecturally so you can kind of see a sense for what's going on. But to protect the rest of your smart home network, at least the ones where you may be storing some information, we're going to look at getting a second firewall and that will be internally. And this is a concept fairly common in the commercial world. So this is something we're going to adapt or co-opt that same technique 
for internally. And with that, what we'll call firewall two or an internal firewall, then we can put all the services behind it, pushes, Plex and NAS and Pi-hole and Unify, things that you need to be on the network, but you don't necessarily want them totally exposed because sometimes they have to go to the outside world. So you want to protect what they can get to and what can get to them. Now, this is the point where we're going to get into talking about the different services you want to think about as to if you want them running on the internal firewall and how you want them running. So let's first talk about DHCP server versus DHCP relay. With DHCP server, everything that you're going to have is going to be running right from here. As far as each EP server, you're going to be each of these devices here is going to be getting its IP address from firewall to or the internal firewall. Do you end up with having two different DHCP servers to configure? One on the main firewall and one on the internal firewall. Neither one of which you should have to deal with that much. Now with DHCP relay, what will happen is when these devices come up, if you don't have them set up for static, or if you're first testing a device and not sure where you want to go, with DHCP relay, the internal firewall or firewall two will see that request for a DHCP address and then will and then it will forward that request over to this DHCP server on your internal firewall and send it back to the internal firewall, which sends it back to you. Sounds a little convoluted, but basically you configure all your DHCP in one place. Again, not something you're going to be touching a whole lot, but something to consider. Now, it is going to mean that the DHCP server on your primary firewall is going to have to understand how to provide DHCP information for more than just the one subnet, and not all of them can. So this may be a question you don't have to think about. You'll just set up the internal firewall as a DHCP server. Now, the next service we're going to look at is DNS, and there are two distinct modes. Again, there's no wrong way to do this. I'm just bringing them up for discussion. That's DNS server versus DNS forwarder. And you're going to see some similarities to DHCP that we just talked about. With DNS forwarder, when the whatever devices you've got behind the internal firewall have to go to the outside world, they're going to send their request to here. The, as far as they know, this firewall two or the internal firewall is going to be their DNS server choice. But in DNS forwarder mode, it's going to sit there and take and send all that information to here. And then your internal firewall will do the resolution to the outside. Now in DNS server mode, again, this will be very transparent to here, but DNS server mode gives you a little more localized control on the internal firewall. And that's where you can either make a, if somebody tries to go to googleit.com, for example, and if they try to look that up, you can redirect that to a different domain, or you can just simply put the domain out there and not give it any information. So you can kind of stop the process a little bit. And you, and it would next answer the question, well, why do I even want to put any sort of DNS activity here? That's a good question. One of the things we want to look at is the more you can contain here at the internal firewall means less traffic that's going to be going out here. As far as if all three of these are looking up individually, then you're going to have extra traffic going out here, where if you have it all the way pointing to your internal firewall, this is going to be something that it may not reduce the traffic that much, but you can, from a troubleshooting standpoint, you have a little more granular of what to look at here and doing a little more control here versus limited control, depending on what kind of firewall that you're using 
as your main point to the network. This time we're going to talk about NTP server and that's network time protocol. If you've not ever heard that term before, this is something that keeps everything in time sync. So that from a troubleshooting standpoint, if you're having to dig through various logs of different services and equipment, if they're all referencing the same time source or as close as you can get, that's going to keep the timestamps of all the log entries more uniform and make it a little bit easier to troubleshoot. There's another reason why we want to look at this. One reason why we want to look at this is there are some problems I've heard of in the past, and I've seen one of them. In fact, one of them took a banking client offline for the better part of a day until I got on site to figure out what was going on. And that was a four and a half hour trip one way because of where the client was. If you have this functioning as the NTP server, then all the devices behind the internal firewall will go to here. By ISO, not in a bison, but by having NTP functional here, I have seen reports and seen videos where devices would try, they'd be trying multiple NTP servers for no apparent reason. Well, you don't want that kind of activity continually flooding out because depending on how much it's doing it, you could see a problem to where it is tying up some bandwidth. And also what may look like NTP activity may in fact be something else. So if you restrict all the devices to going to the internal firewall before they go outside, then that's going to make it that much more secure of you having traffic going out that may not be what you think it is. Again, if you've got the clock synced here, then that's a uniform method of making sure that all the devices back here are on that same time source. IDS and IPS is gonna get a little more involved, but it's something you need to think about, especially the more smart systems, and as far as systems that are running some sort of a processor become, you need to think a little bit differently on how you protect them. With IDS, if something comes all the way through where it gets through your outside firewall and through the inside firewall, or say somebody gets a virus or some sort of malware on the internal system, IDS will detect it and alert you, but it won't step on the traffic. And by stepping on it, I mean stopping the traffic or doing whatever you've configured it to do. Now, the importance of that, and I've had an intrusion sensor go bonkers on me and started stomping on a lot of traffic that shouldn't have. IDS simply tells you that it thinks there's a problem based on the heuristics or the fingerprints, whatever criteria that it's got available to it, it thinks there may be a problem. But it's up to you to proactively act on that. IPS is intrusion prevention. And what that will do is if it sees the barbarians knocking at the gate on, say, the internal firewall, it will stop the traffic, do what, you know, ever you've configured to do. So it takes a little more active approach. So it, there's there's no right or wrong way to do it. If you're going to go down this path, then I would say start with IDS because when you start having what will look like weird things happening on the network, then trying to troubleshoot IPS, if you're not familiar with kind of what's going on or maybe you've forgotten that you turned it on, that can cause some additional heartburn because you're having to troubleshoot an additional piece that you may not be used to being. Again, no right or wrong way, just something to think about. When you're setting up that new account for the smart home cloud service or device, please get a copy of my smart home device account checklist you see here on the screen. This will help make sure that everything gets written down that you entered to get that account created. The form will also serve as a backup copy when you get this entered into your password manager app. And if you're not already using a password manager app, please get one now and get started. 
You will be subscribed to my email list in exchange for the checklist. I won't share, rent, or sell your information to anyone. The next thing we're going to look at is for VPN access. And you're saying, well, VPN, Ron, this is an internal firewall. Yeah, but. So let's, let's go back to our drawing. If you have a lot of things sitting behind here, the more you want to have remote access to it means the more holes you have to open up the firewall, which is okay, but the more you holes you open up is more attack points or attack vectors of things where they can get through. If to get unfettered access, and I mean whether it's SSH, RDP, what have you, if you VPN into this firewall, then that means you don't have to worry about punching a lot of holes in. It's just a matter of setting up a VPN. And again, this is in the commercial world. This is not uncommon. I've been at companies to where when you once you go past the outside firewall, you've either got to be on a trusted uh, IP subnet or you will VPN into that interior firewall, which is generally considered a little safer because it's that much less that you're having to open up from the outside world. Again, this may not be something you want to worry about at first. And the other option is plugging your PC in behind this firewall. Yes, it's a cable move you've got to make, or you've got to put another access point back here that's behind the firewall. So that's something that that's an alternative way to do it. But if you're used to setting up a VPN, especially if you're wanting to go to work for a company, where they've got a little bit larger network or you're wanting to show them that, hey, I understand this concept, here's how I've dealt with it, then having an internal firewall, it's not a bad thing to think about doing. Now we're gonna talk about universal plug and play. This one, I have some misgivings about because if you turn it on, you have to understand the impact or potential impact that it's gonna have. In a normal situation, if you need a device to get to the outside world, you're either going to have an allow all rule that says everything that Pi-hole wants to do is allowed out. But if there's any special configurations that, okay, port 8123 needs to be allowed inbound and go to Pi-hole or to your NAS box, that's when you've got to start setting up NAT translations rules, inbound rules to allow that traffic to come back through. Universal plug and play in theory, and I put that in air quotes, in theory will communicate to the firewall over a specific port and say, hey, firewall, I need to have this port from the outside of you be allowed in and come to me. If you're going to do that, make sure you understand how to look inside the firewall to see what UPnP has done. You're probably going to turn up a UPnP service here. And then you may have to look at either a manual rule on your external firewall, external facing firewall, or figuring out how to get UPnP here to talk to UNPP here. So again, something to think about. Some services or some systems may need to have that. So you need to understand the impact and certainly do a little more reading up on that one. So you understand kind of the, the pros and cons to it. I mean, I've done it, but you need to understand what you're doing when it goes to happen. Well, the next thing to look at is dynamic DNS. And dynamic DNS is going to be used mainly when you need to get outside access into your network, whether it's getting into your NAS remotely, if you're publishing your own website, unless you have a static IP from your internet provider, you've got to have some way of signaling to the outside world, hey, this is what my IP address is. And what will happen is dynamic DNS will map to a specific host name on a domain and all somebody has to do is go to say like myfirewall.mylab.com and if your IP addresses change from your provider and they occasionally will that you don't have to worry about going out and manually modifying an, an A record or an address record in DNS to make that happen.
Again, this is a little more advanced concept. You may not be in this right away, but something to think about as far as you may need to have that service up and running. Now, traffic shaping, this is something that, again, is very common in the commercial world. Not so much on the home network, but it is a concept that you do need to have a, an understanding of because that will serve you well. Now, what traffic shaping does at its very basic is it controls or can control how much bandwidth something is allowed to use. So say, for example, you've got, we'll say a 50 megabit connection. I know most everybody has one greater than that, but if you've got Plex needing 25 megs, Pi hole needing 25 megs, and your NAS needing 25 megs, Houston, you have a problem because you now got 75 megs worth of bandwidth request when you've only got 50 megs of use. And I'm not saying that Pi hole needs 50 megs, They're just simply for conversation purposes. Well, by doing traffic shaping here, you can prevent any one system from overloading your outside connection or consuming a disproportionate amount of bandwidth internally to your network. Again, that's not something you'll probably turn up on day one, but it can be very useful to make sure that something doesn't start flooding the network. And I have seen this happen even on my own network. One time during a power outage, when something came back up, it didn't quite come up in the, the way you would have expected. So what happens is that my switch was getting overrun. I could see by the activity lights on all the ports, something was just broadcasting his brains out going, where is this? Where is this? Where is this? Well, if you've got traffic shipping going on, you can mitigate that to an extent. So is it a problem you need to go look at? Well, certainly. But it at least gives you an option of not having to jump and run so quickly. Again, not something you're going to do immediately, but it's a handy thing to think about having as you get down the road, as you start adding more services to make things a little less frazzled when, when problems do show up. Now we're gonna get into some of the external services. And these, again, are not something you're gonna access right away, but it's handy to know and things to think about when you're selecting a firewall to run. PF Blocker NG is something that allows you a little more flexibility to say if you don't want internet requests coming in from a certain country, or you think you have, uh, the, if you run across a site that some of your systems behind the firewall are getting access to maybe compromise. This is something like PF Blocker NG is going to be able to help you with, and it will give you that level of control and kind of protect you from yourself to an extent. So if something does go awry, that you've got somebody standing right beside you to help avoid problems. Now, Darkstat is, don't let the name fool you, that's going to give you some more statistics as what's going on with PFSense. This may be available for other wilds, but other firewalls, but I'm looking at mainly from, from PFSense standpoint. And having more information as to what's going on for traffic utilization, all sorts of things, not going to be a bad thing to think about. And everything I'm talking about here, including PFSense, is a no-cost item. It's just a matter of how you choose to implement PFSense. Now, Snort, that's going to be a, well, we've already kind of touched on it when I talk about IDS or IPS. This is something I have used in the past and it is a system that will prevent as much as it can of you getting compromised from the outside world and it's it, you get into a lot of granularity and you may be writing rules or you're going to be dependent on third-party rule sets this is a tool that is out there not all firewalls support this not all of them can use it but this is another way of protecting not only your smart home network but your systems that you've built you're putting behind the inside firewall it just keeps everybody a little more honest tftp you're gonna say well why do i need that 
Well, there are some systems you're going to run across that either can only accept firmware updates from a TFTP server or they will send their logs to a TFTP server. So this is something to think about having because it's easier to have it and just have it turned off than have to go figure out, okay, what TFTP service I used the last time? What laptop is it on? What computer is on? Where do I have to get hooked up? If you've got it on the internal firewall, it's already there. It's just a matter of turning it up. If you have a UPS out there, and I've used this on my NAS boxes. In fact, two of them are sharing a UPS, which normally is not something you can do. The signaling cable goes from my UPS to the primary NAS box. The second NAS box, because of the APC UPSD daemon, points to the primary NAS box. And if the primary NAS box sees that it's on battery power, meaning that AC power has gone out, then it signals the other daemon to, hey, I'm on battery power, be prepared to shut down. So this is a handy way of not having to spend a lot of money on a UPS, but being able to have that same level of protection. I mean, from an electrical standpoint, they're all going to be connected into this UPS, but the signaling generally is only going to be there for one system. And with the APC UPS daemon, that's going to give you a way of sharing that type of connectivity so you can have a control shutdown instead of just the power getting yanked. This is going to seem a little strange, but when you have sites that have been affected by malware or whatever problem, by having Clam AV on the firewall, this is something that will help at least as much as you can avoid viruses coming in or seeing sort of malware coming in. And this is where AP Clam AV is going to at least give you a fighting chance. No solution is totally 100% assured, but this is something to think about and just have to look to see on the overhead of the firewall, the available resources in terms of SSD, RAM, and so on, if running it is going to be an option for you, but is at least something worth looking at. Now that we've gone over why you need to think about having a firewall, at least maybe a little more than what you've currently got on your smart home network and some of the services to think about, now we're getting down to build or buy. And there's no one right way to do this. It's just a matter of what you're most comfortable with versus the time you've got to do it and how used you are you doing it. Now, if you buy, you can look at something for the smart home that NetGate, which is the company, is kind of the commercial side to PFSense. This is a ready to go box and you plug one cable into what's going to be the outside of it for us in this case the the wan interface would be your local network and then the lan interface would be for everything's behind the pf sensor whatever you're going to use for a firewall now don't freak out at 200 dollars because i know some of you may think well i've spent 50 dollars for my linksys and that does fine well you're getting into a little more feature rich situation so that's going to be why this is going to cost a little bit more. And trust me, this is the entry point into NetGate. So you're getting one company who's made the hardware, pretty much the same company who's made the software. So you're getting anything all from one source. Depending on your network, you can step up if you have the need to. The other option is you can download PFSense and go to a device like this. Now, if you're thinking about an Intel NUC, well, it's another one of those yeah buts. The difference with this one is you can see it's got two network ports on it and they both say LAN, which I can see from their standpoints why they would have done that. But you'll have to, during the installation, and we'll cover this in another video, figure out which one needs to be your outside interface, which will sit on your local area network, and what's going to be the inside interface, which is all your smart home devices will be on. So it's got two HDMIs, it's got five USB 3.0s, does run on 12 volt. You can update the firmware to it. This one 
that I bought uh, comes with uh, six gigabytes of DDR4, which doesn't sound a whole lot, but when you realize this thing's going to be running Linux in most cases because of PFSense, then it can be a fairly uh, Spartan memory requirement. And then a 128 gig SATA SSD. Again, there's really no reason out of the gate you're going to have to worry about getting into this box. You will need a keyboard and monitor to configure it, but that's not a problem. Once you've got the basics up and running, then everything else will be done from a web GUI. So as you can see, there's no one right or wrong way to do this one. It's just a matter of what you feel most comfortable with and when you feel you're ready and want to get to the point of taking the protection of your smart home network and your smart home devices to the next level. So you can either do it yourself or you can buy something that's ready to take out of the box and plug in and start getting things working. If you're watching this on YouTube, you will see videos on the screen that are similar to the ones you've just watched or other content that YouTube thinks you might be interested in. If this video helps you or provides value, please click on that like button, thumbs up. If you haven't already subscribed to the channel, please click on subscribe now and enable notifications. See you in the next episode. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the Tech Bites with Ron Nutter podcast. If you know someone who's interested in creating their own smart home, please share this show with them. Please subscribe on iTunes or Google Podcasts and leave us a review. Have questions? Contact Ron at questions at techbiteswithronnutter.com. He looks forward to sharing more incredible insights on the next episode.